Broncos All-Decade Tackle Orlando Franklin. Two-time All-Pro linebacker Chad Brown. Former Broncos tight end and New York Times best-selling author Nate Jackson. 104.3 The Fan welcomes you into the Players Club. Yes, welcome back to Hour 2 of the Players Club. We're on for three hours today. We're, we've been on for three hours during training camp, and that's going to continue today. So thanks for rocking with us from the RamosLab.com text line. Um, this this fellow likes to um, to needle and poke a little bit, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna humor him. This day and age, the players' club couldn't play for NFL football. Skill set too slow, too soft, not enough knowledge to compete. Constructive <laughs> criticism only. Chad, what's your reaction to this guy? <laughs> Could you play in today's NFL, or are you too soft, too slow, and not enough knowledge? There's like 28 years of NFL experience in this room. and Not enough knowledge, man. None, none of us are like, you know, old enough to play with Red Grange and Bronco Nagurski. We play modern coaching experience. In yeah, this room we, yeah well. coaching experience, yes. You know, I did a whole season. I've done four coaching internships. Uh, yeah, there's knowledge here. Someone else wrote a bestseller about his time in the NFL and was very, uh, uh, you know, loquacious about the NFL and wordsmithing and all that. So there's some football (laughs) knowledge in this room, Texter. Uh, Yeah, just pump your brakes, put your uh, phone down for a bit and realize the reality of the situation. Um, Yeah, but you're still listening. We appreciate you. (laughs) You're still listening every day. Be nice, Nate. Yeah. Um, Okay. Any, I want to gauge your. We're going to dive into this. What I talked about earlier, the NFL and how it's changed over the years, and how that might affect Russell Wilson's ability to play a quarterback position, uh, the way he's used to doing it. Can Russell adapt to a new NFL? We're going to talk about that in a minute. But what's your interest level, guys, in Jets versus Browns tonight? The Hall of Fame game, first NFL game of the season. Orlando, will you be watching? Um, what's tonight? Thursday. Yeah. Uh, what are the kids got going on? Um. <laughs> taekwondo, sailing, yeah, rock climbing, yeah, swimming, and parachuting. a little bit of taekwondo. Um, yeah, I, I'll check it out at some point. It is football. I, I do miss the game of football. Uh, I I like watching kind of like the XFL and all that stuff. There's, the, when the NFL's not on or CFL, but I prefer the NFL rules more than anything. So I I, I will check out. Probably at least a quarter, maybe even a half of tonight's game for sure. Did you ever play in one of those Hall of Fame games? Uh, no, no, never got the opportunity during my time in the NFL. Yeah, Chad. good for you. Uh, you know, I played what back. Good in, for you. You didn't like it. Uh, the extra preseason game sucks. It's, it's yeah. preseason five, already sucks. That was five games. So no, normally, even back in our day, we played four preseason yeah. games normally. But I played a couple seasons where I had five yeah, preseason same. games. I did the Hall of Fame game. I did a an American Bowl in Spain, in Barcelona, an American Bowl in. Japan, Tokyo, and I American did the one in Japan in uh, Osaka. Okay, an American Bowl in uh, Vancouver. Mm, nice. And, and, uh, gosh, I think I'm missing one in there, but at least four or five times I played in a fifth preseason game. The Hall of Fame game tonight. I'm interested to see if this Jets offense resembles the Broncos offense from last year from a structural standpoint. Uh, is it how closely will Nathaniel Hackett's version of his offense with Russell Wilson? Uh, match up with Nathaniel Hackett's version of his offense with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, because I'd imagine it's going to be very, very similar um, to 
what he ran in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. So I'll be interesting to watch all that. But I'm not expecting a compelling game. I don't expect starters to play. You know, teams are reluctant to play stars in the preseason anyway, and definitely reluctant to play them in an extra preseason game. Don't you think they've learned though? Like, like, don't you think Robert Sala learned from Nathaniel Hackett's failings last year of not playing any of his offense in the preseason, how anemic they were in the first, especially the beginning of the season, um, that they might need to play those guys? I think they will play them. Just not tonight. In the preseason, but not tonight in this extra game. It's a, it's gonna be a, a rookie show out there. Yeah, I played in this game in 2004, um, and that was, you know, I was I was a member of the Broncos, and it coincided with the induction of John Elway. So it was a pretty cool time to be a Bronco out there in Canton. And when you play in that game, did they do this for you, Chad? Did they give you a tour of the Hall of Fame uh, before, uh, like the night before the game? They did not. They didn't. We they, got to go out. We got to go in there, and they had closed the thing down for us, and we got to go check it out. I had to go on my own dime last oh, you, year. You, oh, you went last year? Oh, it was awesome. That was the first time you had ever been? First time I've ever been to Ken. First time I've ever been to the NFL Hall of Fame. First time I've ever been to the Hall of Fame game as other than a player in it. It was awesome. Did you go like, I should be up there. I should be one of those busts. No, I did not say that. I just thought it's an incredible honor for those guys who I knew were going in for, for Bill Cowher and Troy Palomalu and uh, Steve Atwater and all these guys who I knew and played against and played for. Uh, it was a, maybe the best time for me to go because I knew so many people who were being inducted. It was a really large class. They did uh, two nights of inductions. Um, it was, so it was a tremendous experience. If you are a football fan of any real seriousness, I'd recommend a pilgrimage to Canton, Ohio to take in a Hall of Fame ceremony. It'll be very reaffirming for your football love. Anything else going on in Canton other than the Hall of Fame? Oh, there's tremendous parties. The parties are off the charts. Um, the Steelers do a great party. Uh, you know, there's all the NFL, you know, uh, greats are there. Hall of Famers, owners, coaches, players. It's it's an amazing weekend to, to be involved in NFL circles. And to go to party hop, to go from a, you know, looks like a $100,000 Steelers party to another $100,000 cowboy party to a $200,000 Seahawk party. Free drinks, free booze, free food, free gifts, free swag. It was amazing, man. Mm-hmm. And so, Are you pissed off if you're the Cleveland Browns playing in this game because it's just <laughs> up the road and you don't get to travel? I'm sure for the yeah, coaching right. staff, they <laughs> love it. We you know one less thing to to worry about and hassle with. You know, we hop on the bus. We don't have to move out of the dorms and pack bags. Just just bring your just bring your little backpack. You'll be good. We'll play the game and go right back tonight. Mm-hmm. So this year's Hall of Fame class includes Rondé Barber, mm-hmm. Darrell Rivas. We talked about Rivas Island. Yep, Island of. Fabian Moreau coming next. Uh, offensive tackle Joe Thomas. Linebacker Zach Thomas. Outside linebacker Demarcus Ware. And head coach Don Coriel. Oh, I will be tuning in tonight. Isn't D. Ware singing the national anthem? Is he? No way. I think that Demarcus Ware is singing the national anthem tonight. You played with him here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did he? Was he? Did you know he was a singer? Uh, a little bit, yeah. A Did little he, bit. Like, um, singing in the locker room? Little locker room, singing in the shower, get in the shower. Keep right. that tune going, D-Ware. Let's go, baby. That shower, that shower there at, at Dove Valley, it's it has such great acoustics. I mean, the reverberation in there, like if you're in there singing, it mm. sounds really, really good. How do you know? I've, I've, been, I've been singing in that shower. So do you, do, you, do you know that it sounded good? Yeah. Well, when I started singing in it, guys said we're like, "Hey, Nate, you got a good tune. You're good no, tune." I could tell it was just sounded it sounded good in there. better. You know, sometimes like you're in, you're in a little room with some nice acoustics, and you could it, it, the echo. It just it was a really nice sound. Yeah, when I'm in the shower, I think I sound better too. But I know I can't sing for nothing, I, so that's <laughs> why I'm just trying to figure it out. Has anybody ever told you that you could sing, Nate, when you were in that shower singing? <laughs> I think so. Okay, 
I think so because I I I I entertained my teammates over the year, over the years. We used to have freestyle Fridays where nice. we would freestyle have freestyle battles in the locker room. Mm. Me and Darius Watts. I don't know if you remember Darius Watts. He was a wide receiver uh, from Marshall, and uh, me and and D Watts and um, David Terrell. Who else used to get involved in those battles? But um, you know, would you guys crown a champ each and every week? Yeah, kind of, sort of. I mean, it was you know unofficial, but it was like, yeah, you kind of. No, it was more like, yeah, man, everybody. If you participate, you get dapped up because it's not easy to freestyle in front of your friends. You know what I mean? It's 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 nerve wracking. You don't know what you're going to say. You're going to say something stupid. You're going to keep the beat. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, something comes out of your mouth. You're like, what did I just say? Kind of like <laughs> on this show. There's no way to rewind it. Yes, sir. Um. But my teammates knew that I was into into rap music, so they used to like like to get me to rap. But then, like media members found out, and they'd be like, "Rap for us, Nate! Can you do a rap for us?" I'm like, Shh. I, no I remember. Woody, I think it was Woody Page asked me to rap for him. I'm like, wow. I'm like, no, nah, Woody. I don't what think- am I going to rap for you, Woody? How yeah. Mean, how do we relate right yeah. now? Yeah. <laughs> like I'm sitting in that training camp with Woody Page, rapping about man and here and here. I'm like, no, nah, man, this is not going to work. <laughs> this is not going to work. All right, guys. Uh, Russell Wilson is he able to adapt to the new NFL? Is the struggles that Russell Wilson has had a product of the evolution of the NFL and Russell's inability to adapt to it? That's next. <laughs> Denver Sports Station 1043 The Fan presents The Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. Y'all see that we can harmonize as the players. Club. And don't but we need, we need you, Chad. We need you to go for it one of these days. Like you're in your shower. Okay. It's day 297, guys. 97. Brian Young. DY, I played with Brian Young in San Francisco. Intense dude. Yeah. Yeah. Big dude, nice dude, strong dude, great leader. Yep. Yeah. And he's in the Hall of Fame now. Yeah. Yep, uh, my former teammate Dan Saliamua, Kansas City Chief, also Seattle Seahawk. Okay, Malik Jackson. Yeah, Ooh. recently retired Malik Jackson. Cornelius Bennett, Biscuit, as he was called. Cam Hayward out there with the Steelers. Yeah, that's a big Ironhead. Yeah, Ironhead son. son yeah. yeah, some great players were '97. I graduated high school in '97. No, oh, okay. Good year. Anybody else? Alan Bailey went to University of Miami with him, played uh, with uh, the Chiefs for many, many years. Jordan Phillips, he's a really good player as well. I think he was undrafted. Broderick Bunkley played here with him also. Jabal Sherrod came out of my draft class. Hmm. Aren't the Bosa brothers both 97? Joey's 97, right? Is Nick, man? Yeah, Nick is 97, right? I think their dad wore 97 when he played too. Mm. So it's a family thing. Imagine how much like of legends those dudes are in the town they're from. Linval Joseph. Does he make it to the Pro Bowl? Does he make it to the Pro Bowl? Not Pro Bowl. Uh, does he make it to the Hall, Hall of Fame? I don't think so. Hall of very, very, very good, though, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, them both brothers are legit. Real deal. Real deal. Real deal Holyfield, Yeah, as they say. All right, guys, much has been made about Russell Wilson's early struggles in camp. And depending on where you come down on it, where I come down is 
I'm looking at this through the lens of a receiver or a tight end or a running back who's trying to get reps, trying to get my hands on the ball, trying to prove what I can do. If I'm out there, I hate what's happening because I don't get those opportunities. I don't get the ball in my hands. The fact that the biggest play of the day and the one we're like, woohoo about is Greg Dulcich on a 15-yard crossing route shows you where this offense is at. Those were like dime a dozen back when I, back when I was playing here. Um, you know, training camp was about making a lot of plays. We'd go into the meeting room afterwards and watch film, and guys would be making plays all over the field. You don't see that with this team. You don't see that with this camp. Maybe it's the structure of practice with the CBA. Maybe it's the result of a new system. Or is it possible, guys, that the game is passing Russell by? Um, there could be some different factors that contribute to this. Number one, defenses have changed since Russell was at his peak. How, Chad, have defenses changed over the years, um, and where are they at now? Most defenses are going to go with a too-high shell because they want to eliminate the thought offensively of giving you the, the deep pass. Um, when Kansas City was having so much success throwing the ball downfield to Tyreek Hill, uh, that was one of the reasons that the defense has changed. They, they recognize if we can force offenses to be more patient in their approach, there are simply going to be more opportunities for the offenses to make mistakes, a drop pass, an inaccurate pass, a penalty on an offense lineman, holding anything like that to eliminate explosive plays and force you to go with quick passing and try to have a 15-play drive rather than a 5-play drive. That starts to tilt the advantage towards the defense. So more and more defenses are going with this too high safety shell, trying to eliminate the deep balls and forcing quarterbacks to try to be patient and throw it underneath. Which makes the quick pass game all that much more important, and the quarterbacks who are the best quarterbacks in the league are really, really good at that. Tom Brady had the most completions in the league last year. I know he didn't have his best year, but he threw for 4,694 yards, 490 completions, 66.8 completion percentage. They also um, threw the ball the most out of any team, or percentage-wise, ratio, pass to run. I believe that you pulled up that stat a couple weeks ago, Chad, that the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers threw the ball the most. And those quick passes serve as runs in a lot of ways. And, you know, indicative of what you just said about teams taking away the deep ball, I want to read an interesting statistic to you guys about Patrick Mahomes, who is the best quarterback on earth, Super Bowl MVP, NFL MVP last year. From 2018 to 21, that's four seasons, he had 34 touchdowns of 25 yards in the air or more. Okay. He was first in the NFL during that time doing that. 34 touchdowns in four years of 25 air yards or more. Last year, his MVP year, 2022, he was tied for 26th in the league with only one touchdown of 25 yards in the air. Only one. And that came to Justin Watson against the Chargers uh, in week two. Okay, so Patrick Mahomes, and obviously there's a personnel issue there as well, right? Tyreek Hill was their deep threat and he's gone. But still... That says something, does it not, about the evolution of the game and the way that the elite quarterbacks are playing right now? Yeah, I also think the players, though. The players have got more and more elite. Right? I look at a guy like Justin Simmons, and when I'm out there, I'm in awe of him. Like, this guy is big, he's strong, he's fast, he's super athletic. You know, you look at just the evolution of the game, and yeah, the X's and O's get more, you know, intricate, and there's more and more teams that will see a team and say, oh, 
this is how this team has attacked cover two. I need to find ways to implement this in my offense because teams might want to play that cover two to take away that deep threat if you are a team that does have like some fast guys could get behind the defense. So when you look at it, you, you can't just look at it from one angle. Football is hard. What I would tell you about Russell Wilson is, yeah, you got to go to that quick passing game. But that quick passing game, when you're a little bit shorter and these offensive linemen are massive and huge that are in front of you, but now when you're playing that too high shell, it's about getting the ball either in front or behind these linebackers as well. So you got to be able to kind of see through the offensive line, defensive line, see through the linebackers, and now be able to get deliver the ball on time. So I think it just makes it even harder when you're, Trying to, trying to do that quick passing game with that cover two because now it's about dropping that ball into a specific spot, right? You got to wait for that window. And if you're not on time, you're not going to get a completion or you're risking throwing an interception. For me, it, you know, if you want to be able to complete passes, deep passes against these defenses, then you have to be able to run the ball. You've got to force the defense to bring a safety down into the box to defend the run so then you can go play action pass and throw over the safety's head or only be facing a one safety defense. Um, that's going to ensure that. So for Sean Payton to and George Payton to give McGlinchey and Ben Powers in a fullback and a uh, run blocking tight end like Manhurts, those are all things that indicate to me that they recognize we've got to run the ball effectively to allow Russell Wilson to be uh, 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 have the opportunity to throw the ball deep off of play action. So you look at Russell's success in Seattle, and they absolutely did that. Yes, right. right? They were they were a run first type of team with a very strong defense. He came here hoping. Do you think he came here hoping to change that blueprint um, and and do it a different way? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, remember he, you know, there was the, the cries in Seattle for two years, let Russ cook as if Pete Carroll was somehow holding Russ back from his destined level of greatness. And the reality was Pete Carroll and the design of that offense, any the overall design of that football team was what allowed Russell Wilson to be as great as he was. So Russ thought it was, he was being held back. He was actually being buoyed by that style of play. And now he's untethered to any sort of anchor, and he's just adrift in the open ocean. Pretty much. And he needs a coach like... To, 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 to piggyback on your boot. Yes, I, I saw what you did there. See what I, yes. With, uh, relative to what yeah. you were talking... Listen, <laughs> listen. Look, look, here... here, here here's, yeah, you did, Russ, you did your Sean Payton yeah, impersonation. Here, here's what we got to do. All right. Right. Look. <laughs> they've got to they've run the ball. they got to do things similar to what they did in Seattle for us to be maximized as a passer. Uh, it's not very difficult to make the clear connection between that wasn't the case last year. Russ's worst year in the NFL and his best years back in Seattle where was he when, they, when he was tied to an offense that ran the ball effectively and consistently. Okay, well, that's 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 in a game, right? In the flow of the play calling and, and all that. But what about practice? Shouldn't you really? Shouldn't you still be able to see signs in practice that the passing game is clicking, that your quarterback is hitting his receivers, that they're developing a connection, that you know when it comes to these quick passes that that are part of your first couple days of installation, that you need to be precise and accurate and on time with those. Isn't that a, you know going to show you what kind of offense you're going to be through the air? I don't think so, because I think that everybody right now out there at, uh, what are we calling it, Centura Centura Health. Centura Health. I think they're all at different stages. You know, I've talked the last couple days, and I'm 
frustrated with where this offensive line is when you look at it from a pure passing game attack, right? Winning their one-on-one battles, being able to understand, you know, am I in a rocket or loaded? Are we sliding the protection of my side? How do I use my help? I don't think they're doing a very good job at that, right? Where I look at now the, the run game is something that takes a little bit more time to develop and, you know, they're all over the place as an offensive lineman in the run game. Then I start looking at these skilled guys, and I think that they're further along in the run game, maybe because that's a little bit easier, you know, with, with your assignment. Are you running this DB off? Do you got to go, you know, push crack on the safety? Are you coming down to, to hit the linebacker and seal them off or inserting or whatever the case may be? Where now the wide receivers and the tight ends and the running back, their struggles, in my opinion, is, has been all in the passing game. So, you know, you look at two different sides. You look at one side of the ball where you have units that are do, excelling in, in one thing but not excelling in the other thing. And I think that right now it's just because everybody's at a different stage. And that is learning a new offense, trying to figure it all out. So I, I think... You know, the first couple of weeks of training camp, you're really testing things out, and you probably won't look that great in year one of a new offense. And you're going against your own defense, and they know your calls, and they know who you are, and you're you're trying to put your offense in difficult positions and give them difficult looks so they can learn, right? Chad, you've talked at length about how you had to learn something and then go mess it up and then mess it up again and mess it up again and mess it up again. <laughs> That's too many mess-ups. Well, once or twice, maybe right. once before you learned it. So these guys are learning, are learning. Sean Payne's talked about being a teacher first, um, and we'll, and if everyone gets a D, you got to look at yourself. Well, how would you grade him for the, through the first week? D on offense? Does he need to look at himself? Eh, maybe not a D. These guys are working towards it. Chad, you going to take us off the edge? Yes, I am. That's next. Time for things to get a little edgy in the Players Club. Blake is brought down. Is that Chad Brown? Yes, Chad Brown. Chad Brown. Four and a half sacks today. Here's Chad Brown coming off the edge. All right, fellas. Everybody comes in train camp a little different. You're a rookie. You're nervous. You're scared. But you want to establish yourself in the league. You're an all-pro player. You're Justin Simmons. You want to find a way to maintain the Razor's Evans sharpness that you're playing on. You're Patrick Sertan. You're a young up-and-comer. How do I continue to grow my game? How do I continue to gain the respect of fans and media and players around the league? And there's another category of players who walk into training camp uh, uncertain. They are showing up to camp hoping that when they get there, that something there lights their football soul on fire. They show up with, with the uncertain feeling of, can I make the team? Will I make the team? Um, but in the end, it is their lack of confidence that this football thing is going to be for them. I've had teammates who have left in the middle of the night. Uh, we've been lined up for stretch, and I've seen a teammate walk down in his street clothes and shake the coach's hand and walk off the field. I'm like, what just happened? Oh, so-and-so just retired. Um, so, typically, we leave the NFL due to injury or because no one else wants to sign us. Most of us just don't 
voluntarily walk away from the game. Um, but it's, it's always a fascinating thing. This time of year, about a week into training camp, week to 10 days, uh, there's usually one or two guys, uh, you know, per team that someone decides to walk away for personal reasons, whatever those personal reasons may be. They retire. They, they figured out the NFL is not for them. It's not what they're ready to do. They don't have enough in them mentally, physically to, do the rigors and demands of this crazy, insane game that we love so much. Uh, I'm sure you guys have seen this in, in your experiences as well. Um, it's always a fascinating thing to watch somebody voluntarily walk away from football. When you think about the amount of work it takes just to get to this level, not those guys should be shamed anyway. If it ain't for you, it ain't for you. I'm not trying to shame you, but it's, it is fascinating that you are walking away from something that others would actually absolutely kill for to be a part of. Well, it's not everybody loves football who plays football. True. There's guys who just like, you know, did it for whatever reason when they were kids because their dad wanted them to. They got swept up in it. They have the body for it. Next thing you know, they're really good at it, but they don't enjoy it. And and sometimes like you, you gotta kind of you do you have to love football to play football? No, you don't have to love it to play it. But I think to did be you a, ever have any teammates who just yep, hated it? Yep, and it would show up. Yeah, well, it, where does it show up? Uh, it would show up in you know how long they played, how much they prepared, how much they prepared for the off season. They were just trying to coast through on natural ability, and because they never developed the true love and passion for the game. Um, that would be the reasons why they left the game, whether it was on their own or they were released. You got to love it to put yourself through that stuff. I mean, I've, I had mo- mornings when I'm like, what am I doing? Mm. What am I doing? How am I going to get through this? When my feet hit the ground and I like couldn't walk getting out of bed and then you slowly start to get warmed up and by the time you get to the facility, you can walk <laughs> and then you get out to the pra- and practice and you slowly get warmed up, you get through it. But that's also... A triumphant experience, right? Getting pushing yourself through those feelings. Correct. Some uh, some guys just can't deal with the injuries, right? I mean, we we look at Andrew Luck, right? What he dealt with until Indianapolis finally figured out, oh, we should probably fix this offensive line, especially if we're gonna, you know, figure out this quarterback position and go f- move on from Peyton Manning and go, go right to Andrew Luck, and we should probably figure out this offensive line as fast as possible, so this guy doesn't have to take the, these injuries. Another guy that jumps in my mind with. Chad's off the edge today is um, Jalen Hurd. He was a, a guy that San Francisco 49ers drafted him in the third round in 2019, but had a string of serious injuries to his back and to his knee that prevented him from ever playing a single regular season game for the 49ers. Uh, in November of 2021, after two years of signing with San Francisco, they ended up releasing him. And he was out of football for two years up until last week. He signs with the New England Patriots. And guess what, guys? He retires a couple days later. Oh, no way. He gets they know. Yeah, he get well. He made a leap and catch in practice. Uh, got banged up. Was oh, gonna man. you know right back on you know kind of just back to those injuries and just decided yeah I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And now this young twenty seven year old has retired from the game of football. Yeah, yeah. John Ross, who was with the ninth overall pick in the twenty seventeen draft, he went to camp with the Kansas City Chiefs. And a couple days in the camp, he retired. Guys, you, you, you get there and you're like, am I ready for this grind? Am I ready for the physical and mental difficulties I'm about to face for the next six months? And if the answer is no, then I think you should walk away. But if you're in situations like you, like what are you talking about, Nate? You wake up, you're sore, you're tired. It's like, man, I can't do this another day. But by the time you get out of the car and you start walking to the facility, you're like, 
okay, I can do one more day. If I can do one more day, one more day at a time, maybe I can make it through this thing. Sony Michelle, running back, yep. just, just retired. Mm-hmm. Barry Sanders retired early. Yep. Um, you know, you talk about the injuries, and um, I actually just saw this pop up. Mike Klish just tweeted this. Some yeah. some bad news, guys. Some bad news for the depth of the Denver Broncos. Jonas Griffith. You saw him go down a couple days ago. It's feared to be an ACL injury <sighs> for Jonas Griffith. So missed a lot of last year with the elbow. You remember he had the hyperextension or the dislocation of the elbow in preseason. Had to miss most of the season, or at least give up his starting position because of it. And now it looks like he'll be out for the season with an ACL injury. So these are the types of things that make you want to retire from this sport. Yep. I mean, Tim Patrick's got to be thinking about it right now. He's got to be. What am I going to do? I don't want to go through this again. I don't want to put myself through this again. It's an entire year to work myself back, to, to convince myself that my best days are ahead. See, that's the kind of the delusion that, that we have as professional athletes. It's the same. That, that, that delusion about the glory that lies ahead mm-hmm. is, what, is what makes us great in the first place. But it also makes it really hard in the back end. Because you don't know when it's over, and and, and you keep because t- you've been telling yourself that your whole life, you know this is a bump in the road. I'm going to get back stronger. My glory days are ahead of me. My ultimate glory still lies ahead. I'm going to push forward. I'm going to push forward, and then it happens again, and then you keep going, and then it happens again. So you know our heart goes out to obviously Tim Patrick and now Jonas Griffith with the news coming in that it's an ACL injury uh, for Jonas. So it looks like he's going to miss 2023. Uh, big blow for the team, but. For Jonas Griffith himself, you feel for him. All right, guys. Chad, you were out there yesterday, and you saw the red zone struggle. Mm-hmm. I want your thoughts on why that happened, if that's the defense just playing well and balling like they have been, or offensive uh, concerns. We're also going to hear from Sean Payton about the red zone. That's next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents The Players Club with Orlando Franklin. Chad Brown and Nate Jackson. Thanks for all you showing us. Thanks for all you showing us, Jonas. Man, Jonas Griffith, as per Mike Kliss, suffered an ACL injury. So we fear he will be out for the 2023 NFL football season. Another blow to the team, another injury. Guys start dropping like flies. It is training camp. Guys are going to get hurt. I know last year, Lauren Landau took the blame for a lot of the injuries that happened. Um, But it is football, and guys do get hurt. And perhaps Lauren Landau was incorrectly blamed for that. Is there a possibility that the game itself is evolving in a way, and the players and the athletes' training is evolving in a way that's making them more injury-prone? based on the movements they do on a football field? Uh, I, I think that's a legitimate question. You know, And what are you, you training for? Are you training for maximum ex- explosion and, and maximum uh, speed and all those things? Or are you training for maximum durability? Because they're two very different training processes uh, that require different parts of uh, your body to be trained in different ways. So... Um, I certainly would try to be as powerful as I could, but at the same time, I want to be durable. Your best ability is always going to be your availability. So no matter how explosive you are, 
you know, going back to John Ross, who retired from Kansas City Chiefs training camp this year, one of the most explosive players probably ever in NFL history from a speed component, but was nicked up all the time and was never productive on the field. So I, I think if you're going to go to your training guru and you're, you're an NFL player, part of the discussion has to be, yeah, certainly I want to be fast, I want to be strong, I want to be quick, I want to be explosive, but I want to be incredibly durable. I want to build up some armor so I can go, you know, through this gauntlet of the 17 game season without suffering some kind of awful injury or at least make it through training camp. Yeah. I think it's a combination of everything, right? I mean, you know, you got to look at your flexibility and have a real life discussion with yourself, like a, almost like a coming to Jesus moment. Are you at where you need to be with your flexibility? And then when you, you know, put together off-season plan are you making sure that you're going forward with everything at the same time or do you just get in the weight room and now it's about bulking up and, and you know getting the gains in the gym well if you're just doing that and you're doing no field work it, like now something is getting left behind so you really have to find a way to create a program for you where everything is kind of being built up at the same time with today's NFL and just today's athletes because you're asked to do all of it. And there are these guys that are just big, strong, and fast that are freakish athletes out there. And if you're, say, like a defensive player, now everything that you do is about reacting to the person that's in front of you. So you cannot afford to not train a certain body part or not train to do a certain thing. It could be a flexibility thing, like I said earlier. I wonder to what extent the the NFL draft and the combine – sets these guys' bodies up to snap when they're actually playing real football because they're training to run the fastest possible 40, Mm -hmm. to jump the highest, to jump the furthest, to be the most impressive physical specimen they can when they get poked and prodded by the Cecil Lammies of the world (laughs) who are taking notes on their naked bodies, right? And Cecil is going to join us in about 30 minutes so we can ask him about it. Oh, yeah. I've seen a lot of quarterbacks with their shirts off. I've seen a lot of quarterbacks without their shirt on. (laughs) <laughs> but um, these guys are trying to get as strong as possible to test as well as possible, as fast as possible, to test as well as possible. Did you guys ever see in the locker rooms you played in, the guy who was the most impressive with his shirt off, was he the most impressive on the field? No. No, I remember my rookie year. Boris uh, from West Virginia, linebacker, was undrafted. And we had to do like a little bit of a mini combine, and Boris was lighting it up. And I was like, man, this is the kind of dude who's undrafted. I'm not sure if this league is for me. Boris. I was second-round pick. This dude is amazing. He's built amazingly. He's fast. He's super intelligent. It ends up, once we put on pads, Boris couldn't play football. So Boris was the teammate who left at you know in the middle of the night. And, you know, oh, he was? Snuck out of training Boris. camp. Because I think Boris recognized he may look like a great guy, but he couldn't play football like Eventually, a guy. They were going to catch him from the steroids he was using. <laughs> so, yes, this is, uh, you know, uh, Marshall Falk, maybe one of the greatest football players of all time. You know, kind of soft and pudgy looking. Little Winnie the Pooh. You're like, you know, kind of soft and cushy looking. You know, Russell Wilson, Hall of Fame track, I would say up until this season, he's always had a softer look about himself. Body type does not indicate your NFL success. Uh, some of the most ripped up dudes just simply don't have it from a balanced, explosive, uh, nuance, uh, technique perspective. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I remember when I was with the Broncos, we had, uh, Joe Mays. 
mm. in that linebacker room. And then we had like, you know, Wesley Woodyard and DJ Williams. And then there were other guys that were in that room. But you look at Joe Mays, like I found myself like infatuated looking at Joe Mays <laughs> with the shirt off. Like, God dang. Like, what do you do? You just work out all day? Like, why? Like, then I would look down at my body and be like, Man, I lift weights too. Like, what the heck's going on here? Right. But um, Joe would hit you, absolutely. He'd come downhill and light you up. But as far as just like a skill set, you could tell that there were limitations there. So even though Joe Mays played a lot of football for the Denver Broncos, in any any down that they thought that there was a possibility of them throwing the football right here. Hey, big Joe Mays, c- c- come on, come come hang out on, on the sideline for this play really quick. So um, I think you constantly look at that. Like I look at the tight end room. When I was here, well, we had Joel Dreesen, we had Jacob Tammy, we have Julius, um, Julius Thompson and, and, um, Virgil Green. Virgil Green ripped. Just absolute freak show. Like, well, say it with your chest, walking around the locker room and he knew, like, every opportunity to be in a tank top or shirtless, Virgil Green was going to go ahead and take that thing. But then you look at Jacob Tammy and he looks like the insurance worker. Right. And Jacob Tammy gets out there in the football field and run right past you. Yeah. Got better ball skills probably than all four of those guys, to be honest with you. So, um, that, yeah, that body type thing, it's, that's such a cool question because you, you see it all the time in locker rooms as well where guys just are absolute freak shows and, and then they go out there in the football field and it's not, not that. We had Vincent Painter as well. One more. Vincent probably had. Seven, eight percent body fat, three fifteen, offensive lineman, yeah. V Tech, flexibility all the way there. But look like Tarzan, like like Jane. <laughs> That's a good one. All right, I want to switch uh, switch um, topics here to red zone because look, football practice is very situationally based, and the the good coaches, I think, pretty much every coach in football, dials up different situations on different days. Yesterday was red zone. And red zone is a point of emphasis with with every NFL coach because they know how important it is. Um, Last year in 2022, the top 10 red zone teams when it comes to scoring a touchdown uh, were Dallas, 71%, Kansas City, Philadelphia, Detroit, the New York Giants, Tennessee Titans, Cincinnati Bengals, Minnesota Vikings, Buffalo Bills, Miami Dolphins. Guys, what do those 10 teams have in common other than the Detroit Lions? Playoff teams. Playoffs. Playoffs. Playoffs? Mm-hmm. Playoffs. Now, the Denver Playoffs. Broncos were tied for 14th in the league with a with a 55.56% touchdown rate in the red zone. Uh, so, Sean Payton understands the imperative of this, and here he is talking about the challenges of the red zone. The, the challenge, obviously, is your space is limited. And so, you know, defenses do a good job of utilizing that to their advantage. You get a little bit more coverage, and um, everything happens a tick quicker. The ball's got to be precise. You don't want anything floating on you. And, and like I said earlier, you have to be pretty efficient running the ball, I think, to be to be good in that area. You got to be efficient running the football to be good in that area. Why is that, Orlando? Why do you have to be good at running the ball in the red zone to be good at in the red zone? Because it's tight windows. You got to be able to possess the threat of running the football and just to be able to have a running back to go downhill and now you yank it and pull it. You could get a defense out of position with now being that those windows are so tight already as it may be. So you want to get those guys to take a step forward because if you could get a guy to take a step forward, that may be 
maybe be the only little window that you need to make a completion right there in the red area. I scored two touchdowns. Two touchdowns in my career. That's it. Both one-yard touchdowns. And one of them was on a play-action pass. And the threat of run was there. It was a goal-line play. Boop. I was wide open in the back of the end zone. Jay Cutler put it up there. I had to go up and get that thing. Mm. Toe tap. Guess what team it was against? Raiders. Sean Payton's New Orleans Saints in okay. 2008. I see ya. Anyway, see ya. we won that game. Um, but uh, season didn't go that great. Guys, the red zone is important. Also, the edge rushers are important. I want to continue talking about the red zone, but Chad, also your reaction to what you saw from the edge players yesterday at practice. Mm -hmm. That'll be next.